y'all. Welcome to the first cookie review back. Man, oh man. So, so I, I see where it's from. Am I supposed to know? That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh. So this is a kitchen that, sink that looks from Panera. Really good. My uh, brother-in-law who, or my brother-in-law, I think he said this is like the best, his favorite cookie of all time. Uh, it's, um, oh my word. it's chocolate. Obviously it's, it's a kitchen sink cookie from Panera. It's 800 <laughs> calories. So is it really this cookie just for our listeners who can't see, smell or taste it? It's a large cookie and it's fairly heavy, but it's not so large that you would say it's 800 calories. No, it's 800 calories. I can um, see why. I give, um, it's phenomenal. It's pretzel, mm-hmm. uh, I think caramel, uh, salt. So it's like a savory. I'm, oh. I'm sorry, I'm chomping away here in the mic. That's phenomenal. Bro, bro, that is a good cookie. What's it called? Kitchen sink? Yeah, the kitchen sink. Yeah, that's like a pure shot of sugar. Yeah, but but there's some oh that salt so good even with my taste and smell slowly coming back from COVID there's multi layers to this cookie of taste yeah like good taste yeah you said pretzel it's good pretzel I that gives it a really good crunch in there it's good um i feel like if we met with like a podcast marketing team and we're like hey we're gonna start out our podcast and chew eat a cookie in the mic do you guys think that that will take off they would be like hey we're not interested in working with you idiots yeah that's a very good cookie i'll let you um start your rating oh my word i'm i I can't even remember what the the highest i think the highest was maybe 8.5 and i think that was a um what was that moe's was it Moe's? It's probably right. I don't even remember. Yeah, I think it was a Moe's cookie. I, I, I would, I, I would put that cookie. And again, this is post COVID, not too long after post COVID. I would put that cookie at eight point five, even to a nine. That's a good cookie. It's very good. I don't like savory stuff. Last night I was talking to a youth, um, one of our youth, about desserts or something, and his mom makes cookies. Yeah. And he was like, "Oh, my mom has this cookie that's like pretzel." And caramel, it's actually, I guess it's pretty similar to this. I was like, oh, dude, you like the, sa-. he was like, that's the best one. I was like, oh, you like the savory stuff. I was like, it's really not my jam. Yeah. So normally if, if someone described that cookie, I'm not, not even remotely thinking about buying it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell that that's like really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I kind of like that's kind of dense, but still like. Yeah. I think there's two kinds of cookies for me. There's the dunking cookie and then there's the cookie that you eat without milk. That's a cookie you eat without milk. But mm-hmm. I like other cookies that you dunk in milk better, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I would Yeah, like that's an that's That's like eating candy in one sense. That that's a good cookie. Like I would say like eight point four. Honestly, my ratings are fairly like irrelevant. Um, well, let's go back to like your highest is still Subway. I think so. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know why anybody would take me seriously when I rate a cookie or recommend uh, food in general, but but that's a very like I can tell it's a very good cookie. 
Mm-hmm. If only if it was just like chocolate chip or not like as uh, as savory. But that's yeah. just because that's not. I'm not like a savory pretzel. I want like a pretzel yeah. for lunch, and I want a cookie for dessert. Right. Not you don't want to mix them. It's like mint. Like mint yeah. shouldn't go in into ice cream. It shouldn't go into cookies. It shouldn't go into desserts. It goes into toothpaste yep, and mojitos. Yeah. Um. Anyway, um. So we're gonna do. We're gonna continue covenant theology stuff. You're teaching a class on covenant theology yeah. Wednesday nights here at Redeemer, um, and so we've kind of talked about. Um, uh, we, we've talked about these big three big uh, global uh, covenants that we see in Scripture, covenant of works. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit more specifically about that last week with Adam and Eve. They were given this command to fulfill. Yep. Uh, this covenant that they did not fulfill. Um, we've talked about this covenant of grace, um, mm-hmm. God at work to save. Yeah. This involves the reality of common grace, that if you're living and breathing now, yep. um, uh, especially, I mean, r- really, particularly, like before I was a Christian, the fact that I was living and breathing and not in hell. Yeah. Uh, common grace. Yes. So, so in one sense, every living human being on the planet, mm-hmm. we deserve to be in hell. If you're like alive and breathing, you're experiencing some sense of common grace that God is giving to all the world. Yes. There's also this special salvation, saving grace that God has been giving to people and his people as he's on this, um, as he has been on this mission of saving people mm-hmm. uh, that that if you're in Christ right now is as close to hell as you'll ever be. Um, and, uh, and really it's only up where up, yeah. up from here yeah. as we head to glory. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I say that c- contrasting, you know, if someone rejects Christ right now, they're as close to heaven as they're ever going to be. Yes. That's what I'm contrasting. Cause then death is not gain. Um, Today we're going to talk about what has been called uh, the covenant of redemption or the covenant of works two. Part two, yeah. So talking about the Father and the Son mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit and this, um, the fulfilling uh, really of the covenant of works to save us. So I'll let you start. Yeah. So uh, just by quick, quick review, this might be helpful, that a covenant is a binding relationship, so it's not just a binding or a legal reality, and it's not just a relationship, it's a binding relationship. So that's the, we're just going to stick to that definition just to agree upon something that has some clarity to it. It doesn't, certainly, there might be better definitions out there, but this is, I think, pretty clear, pretty simple, a binding relationship. Uh, And then there are if that's what a covenant is, uh, there are two kinds. So there are two bindings. There can be uh, a performance binding or a promise binding. There can be a law binding or a grace binding, gospel binding. There can be a works binding or a you know, grace binding. There can be a conditional binding or an unconditional binding. There can be unilateral binding or a synergistic binding. I mean, we can go on and on and on describing uh, that dynamic. If we were in the ancient world, there actually were two kinds of treaties in the ancient Near East. There was what's called a suzerain treaty, uh, which was a performance-based treaty, or a royal grant treaty, which was uh, not performance-based. It was just declarative. It was all one way from the king to the people or to whoever the, the covenant was made. 
So when we talk about covenant being a binding relationship, we talk about two kinds of covenant being either law-driven or the essence of it being law or grace-driven, the essence of it being grace, the substance of it being grace. Now we're moving into a, a, another realm in which there are three epic covenants. Now, they can only be two kinds. They can only be one of two kinds, even though these are three epic global uh, defining reality covenants. So you have the covenant with Adam, which was of works, which was the creation covenant, defining reality in terms of creation, establishing the spiritual fabric of the universe. It's it's these are the things where the law is written on our heart. And this is where, as image bearers, we all uh, have a inherently uh, unified um, DNA, so to speak, in terms of the way, even though we, uh, in one particular culture, we might highlight uh, not having murder, and another particular culture, the highest virtue might be uh, not stealing. But there's just this dynamic in which we all have this spiritual fabric written in our DNA and embodied in our culture, and that's creation. That's the covenant of works. That's a binding relationship that God has with his creation that's everything uh, lives by the word of God. God speaks, creation responds with an answering speech of trust, love, serving, obedience. Okay, and then the other, uh, that's the covenant of works, but then we, we have this other global covenant that you mentioned called the covenant of grace, and this is where God actually binds himself, though, to a sinner. So how can that happen? And that's where there's this new dynamic of grace has entered the picture. So when Adam and Eve uh, sinned, uh, the moment that they're still breathing and they look at each other, we're still here, uh, even though it hasn't been uh, inscripturated, like here's what's happening, the reality that something strange has entered the world, something strange has entered the way God's relating to creation, relating to them. And that's what uh, Peter talks about that the angels literally lean over the battle works of heaven and peer into they this is strange to them this mm. thing called grace is absolutely strange and so God now is relating to a sinner by grace and you mentioned common grace so instead of creation going to final and full condemnation it went to corruption and that was a backhanded grace right? Commonly, because the world still exists, and that we'll get into when we get to the Noah covenant. That'll be pretty interesting. Uh, So there's this covenant of grace, covenant of works, covenant of grace, but how is this covenant of grace happening? Why could it happen? How can God bind himself to a sinner? And that's based on a covenant within the persons of the Trinity, particularly the Father and the Son, where the true Adam, the better Adam, uh, binds himself to God on works, on obedience, on performance of taking the covenant of works that Adam failed at, but putting the world on his shoulders, um, putting the ultra-life consummated new heavens and new life, the kingdom of God on his shoulders, and doing and living by every word that comes from the mouth of God in our place as a substitute. And because he does do this, You can think of uh, the covenant of works part two or the covenant of redemption or the pactum salutis, however it's called, uh, theologians. Think of that as like the engine or even the base by which the covenant of grace sits on. So God can bind himself to a sinner because God the Father and God the Son bound themselves, Jesus bound himself to God to accomplish, 
to do everything that needed to be done for salvation. Pay the penal requirements of the law, positively, perfectly, perpetually perform for God on our behalf. So it's pretty incredible. You have uh, a binding relationship. You have uh, two kinds of covenants, works or gospel, uh, law or grace. And then you have these three global ones, covenant of works with creation. Sin enters the picture. Um, Obviously, the day you eat of it, you die. The fact that there is death is the fact that the covenant wasn't kept, that it, which interprets all of our experience and all the misery from shame and fear and anxiety and all everything that's wrong with us and broken with us. And then you have God uh, binding himself to a sinner, which is absolutely strange. The angels can't figure that out. And the reason why that can happen is because there's a better Adam. Uh, there's another global covenant called the Covenant of Works Part 2 or the Covenant of Redemption crazy mm-hmm. good stuff though right so could you talk for t- talk a little bit about um some of the specifics of what jesus came to do in terms of um we were talking about this beforehand you know when jesus says things like i came to do the will of my father I think one of the most famous verses in the bible for god so loved the world that he sent the son the father sent mm-hmm. the son that wasn't some like random arbitrary sending, like I'm sending you to planet Earth and, uh, you know, and I have no other plan behind that, right? This is a sending with a plan. There's a will. There's this, there's a plan happening. Could you talk for a little bit about, okay, what are some of the aspects of this plan that Jesus is doing? And in particular, his life, because um, a lot of times, um, we think of the gospel or salvation in Christ primarily or maybe even exclusively in terms of like his his uh, death on the cross, which is so fundamental and central. Right. You know, I, I don't even want to say anything that would hint that I'm like trying to remove that from from this from. But uh, his life mm-hmm. is so key to our salvation. It's so key to our understanding of like how we stand before God. Yeah. And it's 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 a vital aspect to to the covenant that yeah. that the father and the son make and and the plan yeah so um you got the, all those texts in john where uh jesus says i've i've come to glorify the father uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me um there's this sense that he is on a mission and even the language uh, of those texts is covenantal. And even I know in the original language in Greek that the word in there, and I, it, it is part of cutting a covenant when he's talking about what he's doing, mm-hmm. the work he's come to do. So Jesus is on a mission. Clearly, anybody that, that reads the Gospels will see that Jesus is on a mission. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the mission has a, uh, a a Godward element. It's certainly a mission to save humanity, but it has this Godward element in it uh, where it's directed towards God. And that's, that's the covenant of redemption. So think about it this way. When, when uh, it, back at creation, um, all, the, all the elements of creation, all the creatures that have been spoken into being, God loves the world into being. He speaks the world into being. He, he loves what he made, and he made it uh, to uh, reflect him, to answer him. So when he speaks, 
creation answers. He's got the prized creature, Adam and Eve. He speaks his word to them there to answer back that word. And that's where Jesus, you know, when he's tempted, which is fascinating, and he says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's establishing again the purpose and even the essence of creation and humanity. And fascinatingly, right? So, in the creation, you got Adam and Eve created. You got God speaking them in the being, and the and the whole drama of the text is: is the creature going to answer back and trust as a servant the King, live by every word that comes from His mouth? Uh, and the test is: He doesn't, right? So when Jesus is baptized, what's His first? The first thing that happens to him when he is officially identified as official ministry as the substitute man, the human being, the human substitute, he's led into the wilderness mm-hmm. to be tempted. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why? Because he's standing in for Adam. Mm-hmm. He's standing in for us. And so what Jesus ends up doing is absolutely, perfectly uh, completing the covenant of works. And I think we mentioned this last week, that it's important to note that creation was unfinished business. Creation was still dependent upon Adam. Adam was supposed to put creation on his back, and by him answering God's word, by him trusting and loving and obeying God, he was going to carry creation upward and forward to its final ultimate consummation or or its eschatological life or eternal life or um, what was happening in the garden, which was a a union of heaven and earth, that garden was supposed to stretch, the union of heaven and earth was supposed to stretch into one larger reality all over creation. That would have been the consummate life. That's what Adam was supposed to do. He was supposed to imitate God. He was supposed to work and enter into his rest, his Sabbath rest. That's why that's a big theme throughout all the Bible. And so what Jesus did, and that's what the writer of Hebrews says, is that Jesus has taken us into that Sabbath rest. He is the better Adam. He put, mm-hmm. he put creation, he put you, he put me, he put the new creation, the kingdom of God on his shoulders and obeyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why in the Old Testament you have two kinds of offerings. You have a sacrificial offering and you have a thanksgiving offering. And the Thanksgiving offering is, is that of a positive, perfect human life. It's, it's fulfilling human flourishing. It's being who we're supposed to be. The sacrificial sacrifices point to the, the penalty of not being that. And so Jesus, in, the covenant, in his covenant with the Father, as he steps into Adam's place, he takes our place, and because we are covenant breakers, he's a sacrifice. He pays the penalty of it. And that means, you know, and just on the ground terms, we're free to go, we're forgiven. But that's not all of salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he positively, as a, not just a guilt offering, a sacrificial offering, but as a thank offering, as a life of obedience, as a life of human flourishing, as a life that lives uh, loving God and trusting God and living by every word that comes from the mouth of God, uh, he actually accomplishes human flourishing and righteousness. Mm -hmm. And he accomplishes a justification and takes creation and all of us forward into glorification. And so that's not just, it's not, not just forgiveness and forgiveness is a big Mm -hmm. deal. You may go, but it's also, you may come. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you, you're accepted, you're welcomed, you may enter into my rest, you may enter into the, uh, the kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus has done in this second uh, covenant of works called the Covenant of Redemption historically, or the Pactum Salutis, uh, in terms of, you know, if you want to sound smart with your friends. I think this is key um, to also to thinking about um, the Father's love for us Historically, um, was it Marcion uh, who, who believed the old, the God of the Old Testament was a different God than the God of the New yes. Testament, right? And so, and and that that's a common idea today, right? Jesus seems like this kind of loving, uh, kinder, gentler, you know, God, uh, God mm-hmm. uh, to kind of correct this wrathful, vengeful God of the Old Testament. This this covenant of works that that we're talking about, the covenant of redemption. Uh, this uh, is it intra Trinitarian intra mm-hmm. is that right? Um, this is saying that that Jesus didn't didn't go to the Father and say you've been a little bit harsh and I'm going to go kind of balance things out a little bit. Okay, so no, this is the Father for God. The Father loved the world for God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Yeah. Um, this is the love of God sending the Son in His love to um, to save. And so, you know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Um, so it's beautiful in that, um, regard in terms of like on the ground, how does this really, you know, again, this isn't like this, like out there abstract theology that just doesn't really do anything. No, this says when you see Jesus, you see the father and Jesus came in the love of the father. Um, that's so good because what we think about God matters. Yes. And covenant theology is actually telling us how to think about God. Mm-hmm. It's helping us think about God. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you think God hates you and he hates sinners, it will impact the way you live in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that God is uh, uninvolved in your life in the world, it will impact the way you deal with cultural, political, ideological chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what we think about God matters, and covenant theology is unpacking all the wonders of who that God is and what he has done for us uh, in ways that are breathtaking and beautiful and life-giving, obviously. Yeah, we can forget about ourselves, too. We think about... I mean, I think I said this last time that, uh, you know, when, when we're pressed with which, which route do I go in life? Do I go the route of justifying myself before God or, you know, to say, to, to make, I'll make myself acceptable before God. Yeah. Okay. We're talking covenant of works. Yes. Um, or there, there's, there's, uh, literally only a one other option that there's, there's two options. I go the route of a covenant of works. That's I'll make myself acceptable. Maybe I'll do that with a little bit of God's help, but it's still a works performance thing happening. Or I go the route of a covenant of grace where I see that um, I am ill-deserving, I'm sinful, I deserve punishment and wrath and death. The only reason I've been breathing this whole time is because of just a sheer common grace. And also I see now that the Father sent the Son on a saving mission for me to live, die, and rise. Um I'll rest in him. I'll trust him. And I'll completely forget about myself 
and any kind of self-justification I could come up with. And I'll just say, no, everything in me, ungodly, undeserving, ill-deserving, Christ, totally perfect, totally accepted son, the, the son that the father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he came not just arbitrarily, randomly to be like, I'll show you, I can fulfill the law just, just to show you. No, he's doing everything he's doing. He's doing it for us. So good. So all these covenants, what, what we're talking about right now, it's important to see that they're describing reality. This is an interpretation of reality. This is the way the world works. So we work in a covenant of works. Mm-hmm. The Adamic self, the old self, that's all he or she does. Yeah, and then you have uh, Jesus fulfilling that covenant of works, and see how this lands so practically in our life that this is your new self, it's your new self in Christ. And so, how does this? This is your mental health, people. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is your sanity. This is going through life constantly uh, thinking about yourself, uh, feeling things about yourself, uh, curved in on yourself. Uh, enslaved and entrapped in yourself in a cycle of justifying yourself, trying to make yourself perfect before God, before yourself, before others, before the law, whether it's the Big Ten uh, or all the little laws of life, or it's the freedom of actually someone else stepping in, taking your place, so you don't have to think about yourself. Mm -hmm. That to me, I mean, when I get glimpses of that and I have experience of that is life freedom Mm -hmm. unlike anything Mm -hmm. filled with the spirit whatever you want to call it uh and i know when i am at my worst and i know that when i'm at my worst emotionally mentally when i'm at my worst spiritually it's when i am consumed with myself Mm -hmm. and some form Mm -hmm. of fashion or another i'm either striving for justification or there's this sense of condemnation and accusation and punishment and it's just an endless cycle. Uh, so this is real boots on the ground theology mm-hmm. that actually matters, and matters because it's it's not like um, it's not like a nice theory that's out there, and you just need to get into that and get into this positive frame of reference. It matters because it is reality. Mm-hmm. This is how the this is how the world works. Mm-hmm. This is how <laughs> creation works. You work. This is how. The gospel works, church works. This is tapping into reality. Yeah, like it or not, uh, fully understand it or not, this is what has happened. This is what is happening. It's like, like it or not, understand it or not, uh, Adam and Eve really did exist. And they really did have a covenant that they really did fail. And it really has affected absolutely everything, including our very human nature that we're born with. So it's like... This is, again, yeah, just tapping into reality, understanding the world in which we live, understanding why we think the way we think, understanding why, apart from the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for us to believe the outlandish good news of the gospel because it just is so otherworldly that God would love us freely, um, that he would save us entirely by his own work, give us salvation freely, no works necessary. You can totally forget about yourself. Um, changes everything. I was when you were talking. I was thinking of C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity. Talks about if you, I can't remember exactly what he's saying, but he, he basically says if you meet someone who's really genuinely religious, uh, a Christian who who's like really holy, like he, he was trying to paint this picture. 
He says, you wouldn't walk away. You wouldn't meet someone who's like really sullen and down and, you know, kind of like this monk in the desert. He says, you'd meet someone that would kind of frustrate you because they would just be so kind of cheerful and, um, and seemingly very like self unaware and just kind of like happy, you know? And he was just saying that this is like the point of Christianity out of yourself into God and into his work for you, where you just kind of like, or you've kind of forgotten about yourself. Yeah, it's almost like, yes, you have, you forget about yourself. You, you can laugh at yourself. Yeah. You don't take yourself so seriously. You're like, you're not like this blues brother that's on this vital. You're not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And that is so freeing. Yeah. It's absolutely freeing. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, until next time, we'll we'll come back with uh, more probably on covenant theology stuff. We'll see as you teach this class what we can kind of highlight, maybe go into some specific stories. As we were talking before this, I was thinking of stories of covenant theology where maybe we talk about Abraham or, or some of these bigger stories um, to maybe highlight some more of this. So we may do a couple more episodes on this and then maybe move into some new ground. So um, until then, 